eventually I settled in the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. And I was there for a good number of years, and then a friend invited me to come to her church. And so I got permission to go, and I was told not to put anything in the offering and, you know, to be because the work was not of God and, and all that sort of thing. But I went there, and a, the pastor spoke, and he said, there is somebody here tonight, and this and this and this and this has happened in your life. And I thought, how did he know about me? And I was a little scared, actually. Um, but the next day, I was a manuscript reader in Rigby's Publishing, and they had a bookshop downstairs, and this pastor walked into the shop. And he, and so I went up to him and asked him, how did he know about me? And he said, well, I didn't. He said, it was the Spirit of God speaking through me. And anyhow, he sent his youth worker in, and he talked to me for four days to invite me to an Easter camp. And I was very reluctant to go, and I thought, what will my mum and dad think? Anyhow, this youth pastor on Wednesday, he said, be ready at four o'clock on Thursday. We're picking you up, and we're taking you to this camp. And so I just said to my mum and dad that I was going to a camp, and I honestly believe they thought I was going to a Mormon camp. But when I was there, the um, pastor spoke from the text, salvation is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And if you know anything about the Mormon church, they, it's all about works, going from one kingdom to the next, to the next, to the next, and so on. And that night, I gave my heart to the Lord and I have loved him ever since. He has directed my path in everything that I feel that I have done. And when, um, after uh, several months had gone past, and I was praying one morning, and I believe the Lord called me to go to Indonesia. And so... Um, I won't go into all the details, but I eventually ended up in a Bible college. And I felt there that the Lord spoke to me about going to Indonesia. And so I went to the university to study about um, history, Asian history, and also the Indonesian language. And lo and behold, my lecturer was to be my future husband. <laughs> and... We were, and he also had a burden to establish in Indonesia a Christian university. And so we, uh, after I'd finished my studies and he was doing his master's through Melbourne College of Divinity, but through what they called the United Faculty. And so when we'd finished, we just felt God calling us we had no promise of anything except we wanted to take all this stuff to Indonesia. 
And so we, so we uh, were packing up our stuff, and these two old men that came to the church, my husband was in collegiate ministry with the Presbyterian Church in Warwick, where they have a very large Presbyterian uh, boarding school there. And these two old men who we had been feeding because they were suffering from malnutrition, said to us, we will make all your crates and cartons that you need to take to Indonesia, which they did. And then they said, when you get there, you're going to need a car. And they bought us a car. We thought they had nothing. And it often reminds me, be hospitable, because thereby you entertain angels unaware because they truly were. And so eventually we arrived in Indonesia and we felt in a country that has multiple religions in Indonesia, their constitution says for all those that believe in the one God, they have a right to worship there. Indonesia is not a Muslim country. I mean, it's not a Muslim state, but the majority are Muslim. And so we felt that we had to show them who the one true God was, that he wasn't just a God that, that we, we worship, but there's no evidence from him that he is our God. And so we went there with our little car, and we first started by having evangelistic meetings in open fields. And when the people saw us coming in our car, they would shout out, here comes the hallelujah car, here comes the hallelujah car. And we ministered to them through about the gospel and also through the healing uh, might of our Lord. And the people saw, we saw many, many miraculous things, people healed of leprosy, people who were blind and didn't even have eyeballs. God created the eyeball right there and then, and we saw miracle after miracle after miracle. And during this time, my husband was setting up this school that is now a very well-known school in Indonesia. And so because we had lack of lecturers, because I don't know if you know in in academics, if you teach a particular uh, year, like a master's or a bachelor, you, the lecturer has to be at least one uh, degree ahead of what they're teaching. And so my husband asked me to, to teach in the school, and it was not the love of my life, and I had this burden, but I did, I did it at the same time teaching my kids correspondence lessons. And eventually they went off to, um, to boarding school when they were 10. And um, that was a very big strain for me. But I didn't want to be the wife that said, let's go home and see the kids you know, and be a burden to my husband. And anyhow, God took care of that. But then one day, God put it on my heart. I read a magazine about these women who were going to be stoned because they were pregnant outside of marriage. 
nine of them. And God spoke into my heart and said, you have to establish a place for these women to come where they will be safe, where their babies will be taken care of, and uh, my name will be lifted up, the name of Jesus, not, not my name. And um, so we started, and I, I, one day I was um, in my house, and we had a visitor from Australia who was doing his PhD, and he was uh, writing his thesis on the phenomena of how Muslims were being won to Christ through the healing power of Jesus. And he said to me, you know, Mavis, you need, you have this and this and this to work with, but what you really need is an orphanage. And I said, well, that's right, I really do. And then I walked into our lounge room where he wasn't, and I said, okay, God, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And I believe God said to me, get one workman and one shovel and start. So that's what we did. We never stopped and we built the first orphanage in Solo in central Java. Then later, we, after my husband retired, we moved to um, Jakarta and there I felt even more of a need for the uh, things that God had called me to do. And so one day, um, this man that had been in our home writing his thesis, he said, our church on Sunday is going to choose a project. He said, they already have six, but if you have no objection, I want to FedEx them and tell them about your project for this orphanage. He said, they've got... So they'll have seven, and they're only going to choose one. And they didn't even know me. They didn't know who I was. Anyhow, the long and the short of it is they chose to build the orphanage. But they also said that so that they would know that it was of God, that I would have to provide the land. Well, in Indonesia, a foreigner is not allowed to own land. And I thought, well, how can this be? And then um, a man rang me up. He was the director of the Hyatt Hotel in Indonesia, and he said, you don't know me, Mrs. Pardedi, but a man, a friend of mine who lives in Australia, has told me that I have to help you. And he said, I believe God has spoken to me. And so he, he asked me to come to the Hyatt Hotel and, and have a meal with him, and being a missionary, I was there like a shot. <laughs> and this man was such a lovely man. He spoke about the Lord and, and how he had led him in his ministry and everything. And then he asked me, how can I help you? And I told him about the problem of the land. And he just said to me, leave it with me. And a few, three weeks later, he rang me up and he said, Nine of my friends and myself have got together and we're going to purchase the land for you to build your orphanage. And so we began to build. And then the government said, because of the flooding in Jakarta, that 
we could not cut down trees or level the land. It had to be built in accordance with the, the terrain of the land. So that meant that we had to have another floor in there and that was more money. And truly I was sitting in my office and this man knocked on the door and he said, you don't know me, he said, but um, I'm from the KLM airline. And he said, I'm going back to Indonesia and I've heard about your project and he said, your desire to build the orphanage and he said, I'm wondering if I could take back a project because they had a social um, group in there in the KLM uh, that we could help with. And so I told him about this new regulation and he said, well, I'm promising you nothing, but I'll be back in October. And praise God, he, well, KLM built the, the basement level of our orphanage and then the church in Australia built the top floor. We never asked, we never asked except we prayed to the Lord. And our operation day by day in Indonesia, every Monday my secretary gives to me um, what, the money that we need for the week. And I say to the Lord, Lord, I'm here to do the job. But your job is to pay the bill. And every week, week after week, day after day, year after year, he has provided for us. And I would just like to share with you, starting with my son. My son, from when he was five years of age and he started to go to school, he received pocket money. And in Indonesia, he got a hundred rupees, which was 10 cents. And we taught him that he should tithe and give to the Lord his portion, which he did very religiously and all through his life. And when he was in year 11, he was now in Australia, he was able to purchase his own car. We never gave him money, but God provided for him. And then... When he started his job, he decided to give nine-tenths of his money to the Lord and live on one-tenth. And he came to me one day because I always thought he had cystic fibrosis and he was prayed for and God healed him. So I thought that God was going to have a very special place in, in the so-called ministry like a pastor or... A, evangelist or something like that. And he came to me one day and he said, Mum, he said, I don't think that God wants me to be a pastor or a missionary or anything like that. He said, I believe God's calling me to use what he gives me for his work in the kingdom. Now, he's gone on to be married and I don't know anything about his finance now, but I do know that God has blessed and blessed and blessed. He is in banking and finance, that's his job, and God has just blessed him so wonderfully for his faithfulness since he was five years of age and he's now 45. And I do believe that God has a system that he has in order to bless us. Did you know that God doesn't need our money? 
in Psalm 50, it says, you know, I, basically God is saying, I really don't have need of you. But he set up this system in order that he might bless us if we were faithful. And so we operate on the system of first fruits. If you get a rise in your pay, you give the first pay, not all of it, but the increase, you give it to the Lord. If you, uh, if you every uh, month or week, however you get paid, you give your money to the Lord. And we have seen that it's not just tithes, but it's offerings, it's gifts. God has opened up the way to bless us. And when I was teaching, I was telling the students how I believed that God, if we gave everything that we had for that week to him, if he asked it of us, that he would provide went home to my house and I thought, well, that was a very nice thing for you to tell the students. Have you ever done it? So I got all these envelopes and I put money in them. I took them into our office and I gave all the, the workers there a tip and I got rid of every cent that was in my house. And my mum was coming from Australia and I'd arranged to go down and meet her in Bali and I didn't have any money for the ticket because I'd given it all away. And somebody came to my house and she said to me, she said, you know, the Lord's been speaking to me and I think I have to give you the money for a ticket to go down to Bali to pick up your mum. I said, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Lord. He arranged it. And again, I saw the blessing and all until my next payday, we ate every day. We didn't have any problem with our needs or our, our uh, necessities in life. We had it. And in this, God was teaching me how it was going to be. And so throughout our history, we have practiced it not only in our, the work that we do, but I have a group of ladies in Indonesia, they change every year, that I um, share with them what, how God has used me and blessed me in that. And then hopefully they will get hold of the idea. And one day I was speaking about tithing and there was this lady there, and honestly, she lived in a house that was made of cement sacks and plastic. And I was talking about tithing, and afterwards she came to me and she said, do you think I can tithe? And I felt really awful. Here was this woman that had nothing, and she's asking me how she could tithe. So I said to her, well, yes, God has called us, and he will be faithful. So I didn't hear from her for 13 weeks. And then she comes to church one day and she stands up. It's testimony time. And she testifies how God had multiplied their income uh, 23 times from what they already had. And then she came to me and she said, do you think if we prayed that God would give us a house? I said, let's go for it. 
So we prayed, and I had to go to Australia, and my husband came back early, and she came running to him, where's Mrs. Pardetti, where's Mrs. Pardetti? And, and he said, well, she's still in Australia. And he said, she said, well, tell her, tell her that because my husband was a veteran in the army and lost a leg, they are going to build us a three-bedroom house. And they have that to this day. And God, when we follow God's rules, we find that we are blessed. My little uh, granddaughter that you've seen here one day, I had to discipline her. And she goes to her bedroom and she's crying in her bedroom. Daddy, Daddy, tell me about discipline, Daddy. And I said to her, who are you talking to, Asia? She said, Daddy Jesus. And I said, well, I can take you and I can show you because God has already spoken about it in his word. And, but I had to go to the concordance to look it up. And so I read it to her from Proverbs about how God wants us to discipline our children, but not with the rod, but to discipline them. And, so, and then she leaves me, and she comes back with one of these stickers, you know, that you put in to mark a place. And she said to me, she said, stick it in your Bible, Nana, so that next time I'm naughty, you don't have to look it up in your concordance. <laughs> but, what, but what I'm trying to say is that God's word tells us what to do. And as I've been thinking about what should I do when I'm back here full time, I thought about this. You know, the, the economy of Australia is not so hot. And so I thought, well, maybe I could become the Minister of Finance and give them God's word as to how to have a prosperous country. My children didn't think that would be a good idea because, but anyhow. And then I must tell you about this little girl that came to us at the time she was 12. And the school had a project that they should help other people. And they gave them that they had to re raise 10 million rupee. Now, uh, 10 million rupees is about $1,000. And uh, she said, could, could she do something to raise the money? They were not allowed to ask their parents or relatives or anything for the money. And so I said, okay. Uh, her name was Christina. And uh, so she, after three weeks, she came back and she said, I've done it. I've got it. And she said, can I, can I raise another 10 million? I said, go for it. And she, altogether she raised 40 million rupee in the time slot that they had. And to this day, every month she sends us 300 kilos of rice. She sends oil, sugar, and basically the necessities. And she also makes a gift for every child who was celebrating their birthday in that month. Here's a little girl. I said to her, wherever I have to stand up and tell about the goodness of God, 
I, like the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with the, from the alabaster box, I said, I'm going to tell your story. Because if God can use a little 12-year-old girl because she believes that God will answer her prayer, then I believe each one of us as mature Christians can do that and believe that God will provide. We teach our children too to trust God for all their needs. And when it was coming to the new school year, uh, a year ago, they realised that all of a sudden that we were going to have um, 47 children being bused to school. Now, we had one uh, bus that held 22 children and we had a small bus that could take 10. So we had all these children that were going and so they started getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and they prayed and they fasted and prayed and fasted and prayed. And then one day, this man rang me up. And in Indonesia, you don't get gifts for your birthday. You give. You give something. So this man said, I'm going to, I want to celebrate my birthday. It's on Saturday. He said, uh, is there something that the orphanage needs? And uh, so... I, I, over the phone, I didn't know whether he's a rich man, a poor man, or whatever. So I started with the rice and the sugar and all that sort of thing to him. And then he said, oh, okay. And um, then he, he rang me back and he said, do you have a logo for the orphanage? And I said, yes, we have one. And he said, could you fax it through to me? So we did. On the day came this man with a van uh, like a, a utility, but it had a built-in back to it, and it was full of rice and sugar and the other things that I talked about. And behind that, with the logo stuck all over it, was a brand-new minivan that our kids had prayed for. They said they didn't want to be sardines anymore because to shove 47 kids into two little buses was just impossible and we didn't even know they were doing it until we heard that it happened and so we teach our children that if they want to go to special things at school people usually just have to provide for one child but I have to provide at that time for 47 children and so sometimes it's impossible to say yes but they get down to pray to fast and to sacrifice by getting up early in the morning to ask the Lord to provide their needs. And about 10 years ago, the, the, there was a war in Ambon between the Muslims and the Christians. And the Christians were all herded into campsites and there were many of the children put in this uh, place that belonged to the Marines. And after they'd been there for some time, they sent a message out to the Christian church. If you do not want us to put these children in a pasantren, which is a, like a Muslim orphanage, then come and get them. 
come and get them. So there were a hundred and something children there. And honestly, I couldn't take them all. We didn't have the facility. But anyhow, to bring them from Ambon to Java was going to cost $10,000. Now, we didn't have $10,000. And anyhow, we prayed about it. And there's a lady here and her husband. They pack uh, containers to send to the mission field. And she was in the shed telling somebody else that worked with her about what we wanted to do. And this, uh, these people said, uh, I didn't know, God had said he would provide for us. He said, I, he spoke through the text in the Bible that says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. And this woman said, I'll speak to my husband. And it came back and he, they said they wanted to give the $10,000 to bring the children from Ambon to Java. And lo and behold, he turned out to be a geologist. And, you know, geologists work in mines. And so I thought, well, there you go. God has provided through this man. And we were able to bring them over. And we kept about 50 of them and then the others had to go into other orphanages um, that were in central Java. And those kids that are now grown up have gone through. We take care of the children until they've finished their bachelor's degree, if they're capable. And now many of them are uh, um, nurses and into accounting, finance, um, in lawyers and several other um, in their life, as several other um, places of employment. And so once again, God provided. And then this story even sent shivers up my treasurer's spine. We had to put our kids into school and we send our children to Christian schools, private schools, where we have to pay. Because if we send them, I, we live in one of the most fanatical areas in Indonesia. And if we put our children into the schools there in Indonesia, every child has to set, um, spend three hours a week in religious classes and they can go according to what religion they are. But where we are, there is nothing for the Christians. And so they said that our children, if they went there, the little girls would have to wear the, we call it the jilbab. They have to, would have to wear it and that. And we said, no. Oh, I said to him, uh, to respect the Muslims. And I said to him, well, if my kids have to do that, how about the rest of the kids one day a week wearing a cross? to respect the Christians. Well, he said no, <clears throat> and he left. And so we decided to send our kids to Christian schools. Now, it's not cheap, and we came to the beginning of the school year, and we had to pay $10,000 for them just to register, 
just the registration of it and the first month of their school. And my treasurer came to me on the Friday. We had to pay it on the Tuesday. And she said, there is no money in the bank. And I said, well, it's only Friday. Just wait, you know. So, so on Saturday, she comes and she says the same thing. And I said, just wait. Well, Sunday, she didn't expect anything to change in the bank. On Monday morning, she came to me and she said, Mrs. Pardetti, there is no money in the bank. So I said, come with me. So we went off to the ATM machine. I said, I'm going to show you where God lives. I took the card. I put it into the ATM. In the name of Jesus, we need this money. And there, lo and behold, $10,500. Tuesday, we paid the fees. That's my God. That is the God whom I love and even more important, who loves me. And he says, if you will live by my ways, I will bless you. And I don't know if you've got a little brochure that I've given to everybody, but inside you'll see um, precious gems for meditation at the bottom of one of the pages. And it gives you scriptures that you yourself can look up in the Bible to see where we get our um, lifestyle, if you like. We never ask money for, pe for our work. We never come to you and say, look, I, need, uh, I want to buy a water tank and I need so much. But, of course, if you came to me and said, what do you need money for? I would tell you. But I would never go and ask you or tell you our needs because I believe God prompts people to take care of our needs. And not just our needs. Just like to tell you, how's the time going? What time does it cut off? Um, about Oscar, Bobby and Zoe. Oscar was a little baby with us, and when he was three months old, one day I'm sitting in my office, and the nurse ran downstairs with him, and she said, and she had Oscar in her arms, and she's saying, Oscar's gone, Oscar's gone. I said, what do you mean Oscar's gone? And she said, he's dead, he's dead. And, and she said, I don't know how long I found him in the cot, and he's dead. And... My cook in the orphanage, she picked him up and she said, Lord Jesus, you gave Oscar to us, you saved him from abortion, and now we ask you to breathe life into him. And Oscar went, <gasps> now he has no damage to his brain. He is a smart little boy. He's actually now, he's 12 years of age. And he was healed by the Lord Jesus. Then there was Bobby. Bobby was very, very, very sick. Very sick. And we took him to the hospital. And um, one of the nurses stayed there in the hospital with him. And about oh, maybe four hours later, 
the doctor rings me and he said, Mrs. Pardedi, I'm very sorry. We've done everything we can for Bobby and we can't do anything more. Well, I ran downstairs, got as many of the staff together and we prayed. Then I took a bottle of anointing oil and also a little cup of communion wine and I ran to the hospital and Bobby's body was so hot and burning up so badly that when I put the oil on him, it just went... And you couldn't even see where the oil had been. It sort of absorbed, absorbed it. And he had um, tubes, and so he couldn't drink the communion wine, but I just put it on his lips. And I prayed, Lord, just touch this little boy and give him back to us. And again, about four hours later, the doctor rang and he said, I don't know what's happened, but Bobby's fine. Come and, come and see. So I went back to the hospital, and in the ward that he was in, there were ten other ch little children, toddlers and babies. And every one of the mums that was there were all wearing the Muslim jilbab. And they said, we need your Jesus. Come and pray for our kids too. And so it was a wonderful testimony to others that God is the God who does what he says he will do and Bobby was healed and then in that folder you will see a little girl in there her name is Zoe now Zoe had, has um, hydroencephalitis which is water on the brain and when she was a baby just not long after she was born the doctors performed the first operation to put a shunt in to drain the water from her brain. And there, Zoe could sit up. She used to scoot around on her bottom. She didn't walk, but she, and she spoke a few simple words. Then the doctor said to me, in order for her to progress, we need to put a shunt in the other side. And so... And one doctor said, don't do it. She's lovely the way she is. And, but the other doctor, who had done the first one, said, do it. So I always think about this, but I went with a doctor that said, do it. They did the operation, and an infection entered into her brain. And she now she can't walk, she can't talk, she can't hear. She can do nothing. But what happened in Indonesia when, you're, um, when you have some form of disability, you are relegated to the back as somebody that doesn't need time spent on them. But I would take Zoe into the office, into my office every day in a bouncer net, and I would just talk to her and speak with her. She, she never changed until now. She's 11 years of age. She's the same. But my children learned that you can love the unlovely, that you can care about them. My staff, who in the beginning didn't want to have anything to do with her, she is the love of our place and our kids. When we got the diagnosis that she could never be better, one of our 
boys, our oldest boy, wrote her this letter. Dear Zoe, I love you so much. And one day when I'm grown up and big, I'm going to take care of you. And so sometimes we think, why doesn't God heal? Why doesn't he? But through Zoe's ministry in the state that she is, I say to Jesus, why don't you take her? She will, you know, she will run and she will jump and she will do all the things that little kids do. But she has been such a testimony in our orphanage, not just to our kids, not just to our staff, but to the wider community who see her and see how cared for and how loved she is. And my little granddaughter sends her a gift for Christmas every year. And when I put it on her, on her chest here, and I say, Zoe, this is from Asia, even though there's very little response, you can feel her sort of hugging it into herself. And she's deaf. How does she hear what I say? I just believe that she's touched by love and she knows that she's loved. And every year we take her to my granddaughter to Indonesia because, as I told you, they, um, in Indonesia, people don't get on their birthday, they give. And we encourage Asia to give out of her money uh, something to the children in the orphanage. And she loves to do it, being a little show-off, she loves to do it. <laughs> and, and I believe she's learning a valuable lesson to reach out and touch the world as God is, is uh, enabling her. And my son, last night, he rang me up and we were talking about what I would say and what I wouldn't say. And he said this to me, he said, Tell them that in their giving, it is not a matter of the head, it's a matter of the heart. If you give with your heart, it doesn't matter whether you're poor or rich, but if you can give with your heart, you will hear God saying to you, do this, do that. It may not be with money, it may be with your time, your love, your prayers, whatever. And in case there is... are those who are sceptical, one day, I didn't ask the pastor about this, but one day maybe you would like to come and see how we do it. Um, because it's not a theory, it's a fact that God has blessed us as we've taken up his principles of finance. And I don't believe that God... We could say that, my, that God has made my son a millionaire. But his mum, that's me, has never had a wage bigger than the pension. And yet God has provided all my needs. And my children sometimes say to me, when they were small, Mom, are we rich or poor? Because when we're in Indonesia, everybody says that we're rich because we come from overseas. But when we come home here, 
the, the people from the church come with clothes and things, second-hand clothes and that, and they said, and they will say to my children, we've come to give the poor little missionary children something. And so my kids are confused. And I said, we work for the great and mighty God. He is our boss. Your cousins and aunts and uncles, all rich. We do not have the money that they have, but you've been to places they have never been. You've done things that they have never done. And it's not about the size of your bank account. It's the belief that God will provide all your needs according to the rich, his riches in glory. And why does he do it? If you read in John 20, right at the end of the chapter, it says there that the book of John was written about all the miracles, not all of them, but many of the miracles that God performed. That seeing, reading and believing you, or seeing and reading, you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And that's what we should be doing here. We should be showing people that in spite of our financial circumstance, he will provide when we need it. And what's more, sometimes he gives us a little extra blessing too. I hope that in sharing with you what we do, that you will be blessed, that maybe you'll get a fresh insight into the things that we do, not that we do, but that God tells us to live a that we might, that he might bless us in our life, that he will enable us to do what he says we can do. And I thank God that I belong to Jesus and that I work for him. He is the greatest supplier. He is the greatest God. He, my husband died 12 years ago and his word says that he would be a husband to me. And I tell you what, he's pretty good. If my husband came back tomorrow from heaven, I'm not sure which way I'd go <laughs> because he's a great husband to me in all of my needs in all of my ministry and I live to tell people about the great and mighty God that I serve thank you for listening